You guys can be seated. Well, uh, today uh, we do kick off Advent, and uh, we'd love for you to uh, do Advent at home with, uh, uh, with your family, with your friends, your roommates. And uh, so we've provided everything for you. If you haven't done Advent with us before, we have the full kit. Uh, and, uh, or if you've kept your base, and we, or your base and we want to encourage you to keep your base, there's a refill kit. And so what we'd encourage you to do is uh, set everything up at home. And uh, we, we do word for word of what to read, what to pray, what candle to light, why you're lighting that candle. And it could be as, uh, as little as just read the scripture. Now, I know today's scripture is a little rough. So you kind of have two options. You can, okay, I'm just going to go to the Bible app, push play, and we're going to listen to it because there's no way I could pronounce all those, all those words. And, and then we're going to light the candle, and that's it. Um, now, there are some questions. If you want to do the questions, you can do the questions. If you don't want to do the questions, don't do the questions. It's, it, it's not... It's not a matter of what you do. It's just engaging our hearts to come around the hope that we have in Jesus. And so light that candle. And then what we want to encourage you to do is to take a, take a selfie and, uh, of you and whoever is doing Advent with you. And then put that on your social media tag, hashtag GCC Advent, so we can all do Advent together. So that starts tonight. We'd love for, would encourage you to do it on Sunday nights, um, but you know, if your schedule's anything like mine, sometimes you don't get it all done uh, on Sunday. And so do it Monday or Tuesday. And, and, and again, if you don't get every Sunday, that's okay too. Don't stop because you missed today or next week. <clears throat> or what you could do is uh, have everybody change outfits four times and just do all four candles tonight. <laughs> Take your pictures and then you're kind of done if you're, you know, plan ahead kind of person. So, uh, but anyway, that would defeat the purpose. Don't do that. Okay. It's about our hearts. Okay. Uh, so really want to encourage you to do that. Well, um, and when we think about the Christmas story, um, you know, obviously we think about shepherds and angels and we think about Mary and Joseph and the, and the baby Jesus. But when Matthew launched into his story about Christmas, he didn't start with with Mary or Joseph or, or you know, the baby Jesus in a manger. Um, he, you know, he realized that this story was like none other and he didn't want to start in the typical way. And it was almost as if to, to grab our attention uh, so that we wouldn't miss how significant this story actually is. And so, so today we're going to look at how Matthew introduces the story of Jesus. Now, a little background about Matthew. Matthew was born Jewish, okay? Uh, and he was a Roman tax collector before he was a follower of Jesus. And because he was a tax collector, he was con a considered a traitor to, uh, to Israel. He was an outcast of society. He didn't have any reparable friends, any, any friends of any kind, really. Um, and uh, his, his parents, probably his family, probably disowned him in the process um, because he was uh, taxing, he was collecting the taxes, the Roman taxes off the people of Israel, giving that to the Roman government, making the Roman, Roman government rich, and making himself very wealthy in the process. 
Um, because he was a tax collector and he was considered an outcast, he did not have access to the Jewish temple. He could not go to the temple to, to worship God. And as far as Matthew was concerned, he felt very alienated from the God of the Old Testament. And he didn't think he had any kind of chance to have a good standing with God. Yet Jesus calls Matthew to be one of a part of his closest crew. And Matthew goes on to write the gospel of Matthew, which is where we are going to be this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter one. Matthew chapter one this morning. If you didn't bring your Bibles, we're going to put it up on the screen or you can pull it up on the phone. And we're not going to, uh, we're not going to cover everything, uh, but we are going to cover the first six verses this morning. Now, Matthew, he knew that his audience was mostly Jewish. And he understood that if he wanted to get his Jewish audience to buy into that, the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, he had to connect Jesus to being related to King David. Because every Jew believed that the Messiah was going to be related to King David. Now, the Messiah was the one that God had promised all through the Old Testament. Um, that he would send to redeem or rescue the people of Israel. Now, many um, uh, Jews thought that the Messiah was going to uh, kick out the Romans and make Israel a superpower. Um, also, a lot of Jews believed that the Messiah was going to be probably a military, a great military leader, uh, maybe a political figure. Uh, possibly, but not really a religious figure, but nobody believed that, G, that the Messiah was gonna be divine. In other words, of God. And so um, Matthew, uh, he begins his gospel with a genealogy. Now, as we look at history, really, not just, not just the Bible, but when we look at history, genealogies uh, are really, we only find genealogies of kings and emperors. And the reason for that is because kings and emperors were the only ones who could really afford to have a genealogy written about them, okay? They, they, they were the only ones who could afford a historian. Nobody's writing a genealogy about a fisherman. Nobody's writing a genealogy about a carpenter. Nobody's writing a genealogy about a shepherd. But kings and emperors, they would hire historians to link them to somebody important to show that they were the rightful heir to the throne. But oftentimes there were gaps in the genealogy. In fact, there were big gaps in the genealogy. And the reason why there are big gaps in the genealogies that we have of kings and emperors is because they found somebody in the family tree who was an embarrassment to the family. Anybody have those people in your, in your family tree? You have some embarrassing cousins, embarrassing uncles? Yeah, and so you would just kind of leave them out. And so that person would be omitted, just kind of left out, forgotten about, passed over because nobody wanted people to know that they were related to them. It's kind of like us, you know, we're like, oh, no, 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 son, we're, we're not related to them, okay? They're, they're, uh, they spell their name different. They're a different Jones, okay? Uh, you know, we're, we're not related to them. And kings would make sure that they weren't associated with any criminals, with any traitors, or anybody with a past. And Matthew, right out of the gate, he goes out of his way to make sure that his audience then and his audience now, you and I know that in fact, Jesus comes from a long line of people with a past. And instead of leaving them out, he's like, let's get all the dirt out on the table 
so that we can highlight that Jesus does come from a long line of people who have a past. And that's why Jesus came in the first place. And so this is no ordinary story. This is a unique story for a unique purpose. So Matthew chapter one, let's kind of look at these shady characters that Matthew goes out of his way to highlight. He says, and this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. And so right out of the gate, um, you you know, apparently Matthew didn't get the memo that we don't talk about people's mamas in the Bible. But he goes out of his way and he goes, hey, you know, you remember Tamar, don't you? And, and, and the story of Tamar, it is so unbelievable. It is NC-17, okay? Uh, but, but it, it, and, and again, we're talking storyline here. There's a story. And so let's start, let's start from Matthew chapter 1. Let's go back in the storyline to Genesis 38. And you don't have to turn there now. I mean, you might want to read the story later because it's a pretty crazy story, uh, but don't do that now. But, uh, but Tamar was the daughter-in-law of this man named Judah. And uh, she was married to Judah's oldest son and he's a wicked man. And so God kind of takes him away, you know, kills him. Uh, and so as custom has it in this time period, uh, she would then be married to the next oldest brother. Well, he was also wicked. And so God does away with him. Well, Judah blames Tamar for this and banishes, banishes her to go live with her father, which as a widow. So she would never be able to marry again. She'd be an outcast of society and she would have nobody to take care of her should something happen to her father. Well, years go by. And Judah goes to this town uh, and Tamar hears that he's in town and she disguises herself as a, a, as a prostitute. And Judah uh, uh, takes Tamar as a prostitute, sleeps with her and uh, gets her pregnant. But he doesn't know that. And she says, well, I don't have any money, but I will send you a goat. And uh, she says, well, I, you know, I need some collateral. And she says, how about giving me your staff? And so he says, fine. And so three months go by and Judah hears that Tamar is pregnant. And so he is furious that, that she would bring shame on his name and he wants to burn her alive. And so, she, so T- Judah has Tamar brought to him and he says, how dare you be a prostitute? How dare you get pregnant? And, and she says, well, the owner of this, of this staff is the father of the child thus securing her position and protection in the family. Now, right up front, Matthew says, you remember Tamar, don't you? And everybody in the Jewish audience is like, hey, if we're not gonna talk about Bruno, we're certainly not gonna talk about Tamar, okay? So enough about Tamar. Matthew says, fine, enough about Tamar. Let's move on. So... Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Abinadad, Abinadad, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now we're, we're, we're talking Rahab, the prostitute here, okay? Right here in the middle of the genealogy. We're not talking Rahab, the woman of virtue here. We're talking Rahab, why are you bringing her name up? 
Okay, Rahab, you know, was a prostitute. She wasn't even Jewish. She shouldn't have even been in the Christmas card picture, okay? But she was. And so, you know, let's go back, storyline, back to Joshua chapter six, before the Israelites crossed the Jordan River and they're about to take down Jericho, Joshua sends some scouts out. They end up, you know, hiding in Rahab's house. They spend the night. The leaders of Rahab, uh, the leaders of Jericho start banging on the door. They say, you know, bring those guys out here. And she says, oh, you're too late. They've already, they've already left town. And she helps them escape out the back, out the back window. And she says to them, hey, remember me when you guys come and take the city. Thus securing her place in, in the line of Jesus. And so, Rahab and her family, they would just follow the Jews behind their camp, wherever they would go. Uh, she would follow, follow the, the, the Jewish people. And so Matthew's, Matthew is like, hey, <coughs> you remember Rahab, don't you? And again, all the Jewish audience, they're like, shh, quit bringing these kind of people up. And Matthew is going out of the way. He's bringing people up that you and I would also want left out of our family tree. He's bringing people up that you and I would not want in the family picture. He's bringing people up that if you and I are to draw their name in the gift exchange, we would buy the cheapest present possible, if not a Greek gift. But right out of the box, Matthew goes out of his way to make sure that everyone knows what kind of people God chose to have part of the family tree of, of Jesus. Let's move on. So Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Another shady story. You know, Ruth, chapter four. Again, all this is part of the one story that points to Jesus. But in Ruth, chapter four, Ruth's husband dies and she leaves her people and she goes and lives with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And so she doesn't really have any people of her own. Well, through a series of events, she meets this guy named Boaz, who was a wealthy kinsman for her former husband. And she gave birth to Obed, who was the grandfather of David. So now, now we're getting close. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. Matthew says, see there, Jesus is related to King David. But Matthew just couldn't leave it alone. He couldn't just move on. He, he, he couldn't just let it go. Look at what he says next, verse six. He says, and David was the father of Solomon and they all loved Solomon. He was the wisest person to ever live and he was king of Israel. So David was the father of, uh, the father of Solomon whose mother had been, and doesn't even write her name in, whose mother had been, hello, Uriah's wife. You guys remember that story, right? I mean, you know, we're talking about Bathsheba who should have never been married to King David in the first place. And he takes them back to 2 Samuel chapter 11. King David is, you know, can't sleep one night and he's on his rooftop where he should have been at war. It was a time that kings would go to war. And so he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he looks down from his rooftop and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath and he sins for her, he sleeps with her and she gets pregnant. And to cover his tracks, he, he sends for her husband 
to come back from the battlefield thinking, okay, he'll spend the night, you know, at his home with his wife and everything will be, you know, okay. But he refuses because he's like, well, hey, if my men, if my soldiers on the battlefield, I'm not, I'm not sleeping in the bed with my wife and he sleeps on the porch. David gets frustrated, sends, sends him back to the battlefield with sealed orders to give to the general. And the orders say, hey, put, put Uriah at the front of the line. And when, when, the, when the fighting is the fiercest, have everybody pull back from their position, but leave him there. Basically, King David ordered a code red. And Matthew is like, you want the truth? Well, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> because the truth is, that in this family tree of the Messiah, there are some people with the past. And, and a case in point right now, we have Bathsheba, who was Uriah's wife. You see, Matthew lived in a culture where people thought that you had to perform your way into God's good graces, that you had to stack up enough good and religious accomplishments to get to God. It's like, hey God, look what all I've done for you. Is it enough? And you had no way of having any peace at night when you laid your head on your pillow because you never knew how good is good enough. And that was their approach to God then and it's still, for some of us, our approach today. In our culture, it sounds like this. Well, God, I just wanna confess, nobody's perfect. And if, if that's our version of confession, that's a terrible confession. That confession is, I have sinned against you, holy God. That's a confession, not nobody's perfect. But we go with, hey, God, nobody's perfect, but hey, at least I'm a lot better than he is. At least I'm a lot better than she is. At least I'm not doing what they're doing. Hello, God, I've done my best to keep all 10. Okay, eight, Six, okay, four, three. I, I've done really well, a decent job keeping two commandments. Is that enough? And Matthew wanted to make sure everybody understood that this wasn't about what we do for God, but what God has done for us. That this story was different. It wasn't more, you better watch out, you better not cry stuff. But Matthew went out of his way to say that Christmas has nothing to do with our goodness, but everything about the goodness of God's grace. Amen? And Matthew says, I'll prove it to you. By saying that God went out of his way to weave into the Christmas story, the storyline of the Messiah, people who had no platform of their own to stand on, people who were murderers and prostitutes and liars and thieves and deceivers and cowards are all part of the family tree of Jesus. And as the band comes, and the story of Christmas was told to a people who thought that they had their earned their way to God. 
But Matthew wanted to make sure that we knew it wasn't about doing, but it was about receiving. That it wasn't about what we can do for God, but what God has done for us. And what has Jesus done for us? He came and he, and he lived the life that we can't live and he died the death that we deserve. The genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus is so much more than just an intro full of a bunch of names that we can't pronounce. But it's a collection of stories that point to the story about Jesus. And that Jesus came not to deliver good advice of how we should live our lives, but he came to proclaim good news of great joy, to give us hope in a hopeless world that we cannot save ourselves, but we need saving. That he came as a gift to do what we could not do for ourselves, and that is to pay our sin debt in full. And when you and I come to a place that we realize just how hopeless our situation is and we put our hope and our trust and our confidence in Jesus being the son of God, being sent to this world as a gift, as the savior of the world. And we put our faith in him. Not only do we have forgiveness of sin and our sin debt is wiped out, but we become, we go from being dead spiritually to being alive spiritually. We become adopted sons and daughters of the one true king. And we have all the rights and privileges that go with dad's name. We have all the hope, all the love, all the security, all the acceptance, all the approval, and all the significance that we need to navigate life. That through the genealogy of Jesus, we find hope as we begin this Advent season. Hope that Jesus is the good news of great joy that we all long for. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much.